But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Welcome to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. My name is Tyler Alverson. We appreciate you tuning in to this new episode. Uh, with me is my good friend, Andy Baumberger. Wow, I'm a, I'm a good friend. I don't know if you've you said that before, so I'm, I'm honored, honored uh, Tyler. Um, well, it, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm just being polite for the people who are listening to yeah, this. Yeah, just, just know, for I'll, the listeners. I'll, it's Yeah, it's... It, it's all a show. We're not we're not really good friends. It's, it's just for the podcast. Well, going all the way back to college, we decided that we were more. Uh, what's the word we used? Colleagues. Yeah, colleagues. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean we we had classes together, and sometimes we did science projects together. We went we went rock hunting one time, but that's about <laughs> as far as it goes. Uh, <laughs> right, right. That's yeah, strictly colleagues, not not really friends, but. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad to be with you and um, excited to get into our our uh, passage uh, this afternoon and really really just looking forward to to kind of a change of pace something different and a book that I think is going to be uh, really relevant to us and really helpful and, and one of my one of my favorites so really looking forward to it. Well, you teased it enough there, Andy. Why don't you go ahead and lay out? for us uh, what we're going to be walking through over the next few weeks yeah we're going to be we're going to be going through the book of Habakkuk um, it's a minor prophet I think sometimes we we talked about this before but I think sometimes we overlook the minor prophets but there's so much rich material there that God wants us to know and and learn from and um, Habakkuk's actually you know as we'll as we'll see, it's 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 unique and distinct, even from some of the other minor prophets, and the way it's uh, set up, kind of as a dialogue, a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and and God. And um, you know, a lot of the minor prophets and major prophets are, you know, the prophets um, speaking to the people, God's message, calling them back to faithfulness, warning them of judgment. And there's some of that here, but it's it's as we'll see as we'll walk through it. It's it's a little bit different, but I think um, it, it has a lot to say um, for our own day and for our own lives and how we interact with God and how God is working um, in the world. So um, I think I think uh, we'll be blessed as we as we kind of study this together and, and see what it has to say. The minor prophets are very powerful. It's uh, I think they're really. Uh, they're really powerful, really relevant for the kind of world that we're living in right now. And even in the life of the church, when you think about living in Christian community as a follower of Jesus, books like Habakkuk, Habakkuk is certainly one of them. But when you look at all of the minor prophets, they tend to be uh, very relevant, talking about things like justice and judgment and the nature of God. We can learn a lot about our God from the minor prophets. And I think we can learn a lot about our God from the book of Habakkuk. Andy, as, as you mentioned, Habakkuk is kind of unique in its structure. Usually when you read throughout 
either one of the major prophets or one of the minor prophets. It's not always this way, but usually it's God speaking through that prophet. And that prophet has a specific audience that they're addressing. They have a specific audience that they're talking to and they're talking to them about their sin and they're talking to them about what's going to happen to them as a result of their sin. Well, Habakkuk is uh, a little bit different where this is more of a conversation between God and his prophet. Habakkuk asked a couple of different questions to God throughout this book. Of course, it ends with a chapter of praise, and uh, we'll be looking forward to studying that in just a few weeks. But when you look throughout the book of Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk asking God questions and God responding to those questions. So, Andy, before we get into the text, I thought we could take just a few minutes to ask this question. Is it okay to ask God questions? I think that sometimes people frown on that. Sometimes people think that's a faithless thing, and maybe sometimes it can be. But I remember, Andy, maybe you remember this, that one time we were sitting across virtually from some Mormon missionaries, and we were talking about spiritual things with them. And they talked to us as if having questions is a bad thing. And having questions is where uh, we're just trying to tear something down. And they didn't have any questions because they have so much faith. And because they have so much faith, that just drives out any kind of questions that they might have. And I don't think it's just Mormon missionaries that think that way. I think sometimes we think that it's disrespectful. It's irreverent. It's uh, really unfaithful to ask God questions. So, uh, Andy, what does Scripture have to say about that just generally when it comes to limited human beings asking an omniscient God questions? Uh, is that okay? Can, can we do that? Yeah, that's it. That's a good question, Tyler. Um, you know, I think, there, I think there's certainly a, a disrespectful, dishonoring way to um, ask God questions, but I think as we look throughout the entire story of, of Scripture, we see people um, asking God questions all the time, and not, o- not only do I think is, is God not dishonored by that, I think um, He can be pleased um, when we ask questions. It can be a sign of our, our dependence on Him, our relationship uh, with Him our trust in him, you know, as, as our father who loves us, he, he wants us to ask questions. He wants us to engage. And, you know, it's, you know, when I ask questions, sometimes it's a recognition that I don't know everything, or sometimes it's a recognition that I'm really struggling. I'm being honest um, with, with my father in heaven. Um, and I think, I think that's a good thing. I don't think it shows a lack of faith. I can, I think sometimes, um, it shows a greater faith because you, uh, trust that God is big enough for your questions and you, um, are, are really engaging, uh, with your faith. You know, doubt is, is, can be destructive, but it's, it's not always a horrible thing. Um, we don't know everything. Um, and it's okay to not know everything. It's okay uh, to question sometimes. And we see that um, in, in Scripture where um, God often listens to his people's questions and often responds, maybe not always in the way that they 
want him to respond. Um, but um, God is not, God's not frightened uh, by our questions. He's not, um, he's not intimidated by them. And I think he welcomes them even. And I think that's important for us to, to know as well. I agree with that. Throughout the Psalms, you find many different authors throughout many different Psalms asking God questions. Like I think about Psalm chapter 13, where David is asking God, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So sometimes we, we feel that way in our weakness. We feel like God has turned away from us and we're wondering why that is. And we want to ask him that question. I think what you said was good about uh, there's a fine line that you can ask a question in a way that makes that pleases God in a way that God would accept. But you can also ask questions in a way that God would not accept. Makes me think about Luke chapter one, um, whenever the angel, there's two different stories in Luke chapter one where similar things happen, but very different results take place as well. In Luke chapter one, beginning in uh, verse number eight, going down to about uh, verse number 23, you find Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, and an angel comes to him and, and tells him that uh, he's going to have a son named John, and you'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth and talks a little bit about uh, John's purpose and John's mission, how he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth were older. They hadn't had kids up to this point. Elizabeth was barren. And the Bible says in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He, he looks at the angel and says, well, how do I know that's going to take place? I think he's very skeptical, very unbelieving there. He says, because I'm, I'm old. Trouble for saying that Elizabeth wasn't there to hear it, but uh, he says, "I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. How in the world do I know that this is going to happen?" Well, if you skip down to verse number twenty, Zechariah is punished for that question, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because here's the reason: you did not believe my words. So Zechariah asks a question, and he's asking a question that comes from a place of unbelief and a place of doubt, and God, um, through the angel, punishes him for that. Well, if you skip down just a little bit uh, to verse number 26, we find the story where the same angel, Gabriel, comes to a virgin named Mary and talks to her about uh, how in verse 30, you found favor with God and you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So very similar birth announcements, the birth announcement of John the Baptist, then the birth announcement of Jesus. He talks a little bit about what Jesus is going to do. And in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How will I be able to have a child if I've never had sexual relations? Well, the angel doesn't punish her for that question. Instead, the angel Gabriel explains how it's going to happen, ending with the words in verse number 37, nothing will be impossible with God. 
And so Mary submits herself to God. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Andy, when you have both of those stories laid out in front of you, there's a lot of similarities. There's two birth announcements. There's two questions. But then there's two very different results. Why is that? One question is not accepted. One question is accepted. What's the difference between those two? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it has to do with, with the heart, certainly, that, that God sees. And as you kind of alluded to, um, in the first case, there seems to be a, uh, an unbelief associated with that question, a disposition um, to almost, almost uh, laugh at this, at this promise. And um, in, in Mary's case, there's a um, there's a genuine questioning that, you know, she recognizes she doesn't understand all that God is doing, but she shows a willingness and a humility uh, to believe and to accept what she's and receive what she's being being told. So, you know, I think I think if we come before God with our questions and we, we may admit, hey, I don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm confused. Maybe I'm frustrated. But if we have a heart and a, a, a willingness and a disposition to accept however God answers, if we have a humility to come before God and saying, you know, I don't know, and I'm, I may be, even be, you know, angry or frustrated, like we'll see Habakkuk seems to be in our text, but we say, I'm going to trust in you. I think that's what God wants is that, that heart of trust, that heart of dependence and faith. I don't know if you have, have anything to add or wanted to go a different direction there, but that's, that's kind of what comes to my mind. I think that was said perfectly. I think the difference between the two is belief, faith, trust, submission. Am I asking this question because I trust in God and because I have faith in God, and this is something I don't understand, and so I'm asking it to God, or am I asking this question to God in a way uh, that's more defined by, by doubt or unbelief, where I'm kind of scoffing at this idea and just throwing up the question to God? So I, I think there's a, a difference here between questions that God does accept and questions that he doesn't, and I, I think you articulated it well there from Luke chapter one about the difference between the two, the difference between the two in the text is belief. Uh, one is asked from belief and one is asked despite belief. Um, so uh, you want to go ahead and transition into Habakkuk chapter one. Andy here, Habakkuk asks a pretty specific question in the first four verses. Uh, do you want to go ahead and, and read those verses and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Yeah, just I just want to want, want to add one thing uh, on, on what you're what you're saying there. I think what you said was um, really important and really well said about the difference between belief and unbelief. But also, I just want to clarify that you know, it's it's it. Sometimes when we when we come before God asking questions, we we might have doubt, and just because and I think you said this, you alluded to this earlier too, Tyler. But I think sometimes we think that any doubt at all is, is wrong, is sinful. And that's, that's not entirely, that's not the case. Um, I think about the man that 
um, encounters uh, Jesus when um, he's bringing his son before him. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that's the kind of heart that, that God wants is, you know, even though we might have some confusion, some doubts, um, if, we, if we have this um, desire and attitude to want to trust God and submit to whatever he says, um, again, doubt can be there because I think some, sometimes um, people, people doubt themselves because they're doubting or because they have questions and that's, that's not always the case. So I think that's what you're saying too. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's uh, go ahead and um, get into Habakkuk into our text. Um, And um, what do you, we want to do just the first four verses first or read the read one through 11. What are you thinking? Well, I, I was thinking we could just do the first four verses first, but if you want to go ahead and read the whole thing, I'm good with that. All right, let's do the let's do the first four verses. All righty. All right, I'll read them for us here. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw: O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Yeah, thanks for reading that, Andy. That means I'm going to have to read the longer section. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you volunteer quickly there. All right. Uh, right. Habakkuk talking to God in Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 asking a very specific question. He's looking out at the nation of Judah, looking out at the the southern kingdom of Judah, and he basically asks one question. He uses uh, three verses to ask one question. God, why aren't you punishing wicked people? Here are wicked people. They're living in their sin. Why are you allowing them to go unpunished right now? Why aren't you doing anything about all of this sin? God, how, how can you sit and remain silent whenever all of this wickedness is going on within your people, within the nation of Judah? J- just a little bit of background here. It seems at the time Habakkuk would have written this, Judah was being ruled by a man named King Jehoiakim, which if you go to 2 Kings 23 and verse 37, the Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we have examples of that in the book of Jeremiah, how he killed the prophet Uriah because of a prophecy he had spoken. That's Jeremiah 26. He cut up the scroll of Jeremiah, then threatened to kill him in Jeremiah 36, 10 chapters later. And then if you back up to Jeremiah chapter 22, you find that his reign was characterized by dishonesty, oppression, injustice, It wasn't just him ruling in that way. But whenever we look at these three verses, apparently the entire kingdom, apparently the entire nation of Judah was demonstrated that way. So he talks about some problems that existed in the nation of Judah at the time he was prophesying. Andy, what what are some of those issues that he's looking at here? Yeah, there is, there's, there's violence going on. Um, 
and like like you said, this is not just the king. It seems that this is this is pervasive uh, corruption uh, going on. If we look at the story of the Old Testament, it seems like this has been going on for generations on and off where uh, there's this evil, there's this injustice. And, and uh, Habakkuk essentially mentions violence in verse 2, um, iniquity, uh, wrongdoing, destruction, violence again in verse Three strife and contention. There is a there's there's a disregard for God's law. Um, I think the 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 phraseology there in verse four is really striking. He says the law is paralyzed. You know, basically he's saying God's holy law is ineffective because it doesn't seem like punishment is ever being being doled out. It doesn't seem like justice is ever being done. So we've got this standard, we've got this law, yet no one abides by it, and there seems to be no consequences. Um, it seems like the, the innocent, the righteous, are surrounded by wicked people, verse 4. Justice is perverted. Um, the wicked are, are basically continuing their reign of terror unabated. And this is this is very, very uh, concerning for Habakkuk. And so he he says, how long is this going to keep keep going on? And I think, you know, maybe that's that's a question that a lot of people throughout history and a lot of people in our day can relate to. How long is this evil in our world or evil in my community or evil in my nation going to continue? And no one seems to be doing anything about it. And those who in power who are supposed to be uh, promoting justice, advocating for justice, they're the ones that are doing injustice and then getting off free. And so that's that's something that's very concerning. And and so you could see why Habakkuk is asking this question: How long is this going to keep going on? Um, it seems like it's going on forever, and uh, the Lord's not doing anything about it, at least in Habakkuk's eyes. And so. This is this is something that is deeply troubling to him because he sees violence around him. He sees injustice and evil around him. And I think a lot of people would probably look to this and, and say, you know, these are these these words speak to my situation or what I see in my life or what I see in our world. So I think it's it's very relevant to us and it's just a heartfelt cry from this from this prophet to God. I remember one time whenever I was probably, I don't know, probably three or four years old, I was over at my great aunt's house for a Christmas get together. And uh, there was four cousins. I was the next to oldest, but the only boy. And I was playing with my older cousin. Her name's Emma. And uh, we were off playing by ourselves. And the other two cousins, two girls that were younger, were off playing by themselves. Well, all of a sudden, as we're playing, I hear my cousins that was off playing in another place. I heard her yelling, running in my direction. So I turn around and she's running at me full blast. She's screaming at the top of her lungs and she has a, I'll say it now and explain it just a little bit more later. She had her hands raised above her head and in one of her hands was a knife holding it I mean, running at me full force. Now, in my eyes, it looked like a machete. I mean, it was just this, it looked like a super long knife. In reality, it was just a plastic knife. But hey, a knife is a knife, right? Uh, so 
she's running at me full force with this plastic knife raised above her head. And so as she got closer, I kind of ran out and met her. I was bigger than she was. And I just kind of pushed her away. She ended up falling down. I didn't mean to make her fall down, but I, I pushed, just kind of pushed her away. So right. that she wouldn't destroy me with that plastic knife. Hey, true story here. <laughs> and she didn't like that. She started crying and she ran off and told her mom that I had pushed her down. She left out the part about, you know, running at me with a plastic knife full force, yelling at the top of her lungs, acting like she was going to cut me with it. She kind of left that out. She just told her mom I pushed her down. Of course, her mom told my dad and my dad came in there and grabbed me dragged me up the stairs in my great aunt's house, took me into the first door on the left, which was the bathroom, and wore me out. <laughs> now, to this day, I have one question. Why didn't my cousin get punished? Okay, should I have pushed her? Maybe not. Um, but she did something wrong, at least something that was from my perspective wrong. Why didn't she get in trouble for it? Why didn't she get punished for it now that is that pales in comparison to what to what Habakkuk is looking at here in the nation of Judah where there's iniquity numbers 21 and verse 21 at one point God was able to look at his people and the Bible says observe iniquity in Jacob well that's not the case anymore there's wickedness there's destruction there's violence there's strife and contention People are fighting with one another. Andy, as you pointed out, the law was being ignored. It was literally, it says that the law was numbed or it was paralyzed. I, I kind of take a little bit of a different view on that than what you mentioned. I, I think that kind of means that uh, it no longer had an effect on people. People were numbed to the law. They knew the law, but didn't keep it. They were numbed to it. Uh, justice was never or not just sometimes upheld or uh, the majority of the time it was upheld, but sometimes what justice was never upheld and the wicked were surrounding the righteous. In Psalms 125 and verse 2, we sing a song uh, that's based on this verse. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so what? The Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Well, as Habakkuk looks at the nation of Judah, he doesn't see the Lord surrounding the righteous. He sees the wicked surrounding the righteous. And so he looks at all of this evil, looks at all of this iniquity, looks at what's going on and says, why aren't these people being punished? God, why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you stepping in the way that I would have said it as a three-year-old? Why aren't they getting a spanking too? It, it's like the first verse of, of a song that we sometimes sing farther along. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested wrong. That's the question, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to see when in our world it seems like uh, strong, the powerful, the evil sometimes get ahead and nothing happens to them. And, you know, like Habakkuk says, you know, what, you know, he's saying to God, why do you idly look at wrong? And when we see this immense suffering around us caused by by people, caused by evildoers, we, we might feel that way about God. You know, you're just we know you're holy. We know you're good. And yet it seems like 
you're aloof. It seems like you're, you're idly looking at this like you don't care because nothing seems to be done about this. And, and this, is, this is a really, really uh, concerning thing that, that is on Habakkuk's heart, maybe is on uh, many of our hearts um, as well. And going back to what you said about uh, verse 4, the law is paralyzed. I mean, I agree with what, um, with what you said there about, about that as well. Um, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, you know, what, what our differences were, were on that, but maybe just a little bit different nuance. But I think the, the point is that, um, you know, Israel is not, or at least Judah here is not, um, doing as they should. And nothing is, nothing is, is happening about it, at least in Habakkuk's, uh, perspective. And, um, so he's asking, he's laying this question before God, really pouring his heart out. Um, we, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about um, questioning God, we, some, some people might be uncomfortable with this, this intensity of question, question directed at God. But um, Habakkuk, I think, is honest here. He's genuine here. And he's just, he's just telling God what he, what he feels in a, um, I, I think, just based on the rest of the book, in a humble and respectful way, but also in a really open, honest, and vulnerable way. I think this is a big question. Uh, this is a question that we still ask today. It's a question that was asked in Psalm 73, and we see just the potential that this question has, where Asaph says, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, for my steps had nearly slipped. Well, why? He said, I almost fell away from God. And the reason for that in verse number three is I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, when I looked at wicked people and I saw how they were prospering and I saw that they weren't being punished and their life, I'm striving to be righteous and I'm going through difficulty and they don't even care about righteousness and everything is going well in their lives. He says, that's such powerful and personal question to me he says that almost made me fall away from God and so I think we see that same passion here in Habakkuk where I mean this is if if you had God if you could ask God one question what would it be this is Habakkuk's question why are you allowing these wicked people to go unpunished so Andy do you want to move forward and and see how God responds to that I, I think he responds in some some pretty powerful ways yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, it's it's my turn to read. So, <laughs> well, if, if you want to uh, break it up, we can we can do that too. Just just let me know. Hey, hey, that's okay. I've I've been reading for a few years now, so <laughs> um, we'll go to Habakkuk chapter one, verse five, and we'll read down to verse eleven. So this is right. God responding, God's answer to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, which also refers to the Babylonians, right? I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. 
they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh, they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So I think in that, God responds by saying a couple of different things to Habakkuk's question. Um, Andy, what's kind of the the answer, the first answer, or the first part of the answer that, that God gives to Habakkuk's question, why aren't you punishing these wicked people? Yeah, to me, he's, he's essentially saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing something behind the scenes. I'm already at work in a way that is hard for you to even understand. You know, he says, wonder and be astounded. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told so you know going back to Habakkuk's question here he's saying you know how long are you just gonna sit by and do do nothing God what why aren't you doing anything and God's answer is you you don't see all that I see you don't see all that I'm doing all that I'm working I think sometimes when we when we view or we have this idea that um God doesn't care God is distant God is um um, separate from our world, he, he's not involved in what's going on. I think that is that is that's not really reality. It's more ignorance of we don't see all the plans of God. They are more complex than we can even imagine because God's ways are are higher than our ways. You know, he 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 has so much more wisdom than we do, and he is working uh, through every. Um, through every person he's working through all the the course of history and we don't always see that as a limited human being we don't see the the plans and the majesty and the sovereignty of a of an infinite god and so i think that's the first uh to me as i read that that's the first answer is he's saying no, habakkuk i'm already at work i'm already doing something that that you're not that you're not able to see quite yet I, I love that part of God's answer. I, I think that's so neat where Habakkuk is looking out at the world, looking out at the nation of Judah. And uh, he says, God, you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there watching all of this wickedness and all of this evil and not doing a single thing about it. And God basically presses pause. He said, pause for just a second. Take a second to look around you. Don't just look at Judah. Look beyond the borders of Judah. Look among the nations, he says, for I am doing a work in your days. Habakkuk said, God, you're not doing anything. And God says, pause, look around you and realize that I'm working. I think about Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. You know, God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. If Habakkuk was God, he would have punished them in a certain way, and he would have punished them at a certain time. But God wanted Habakkuk to know that I don't think the way you do, and, and my the, the way I do things are not the way that you would do things. Well, what's the difference between my thoughts and God's thoughts, my ways and God's ways? Isaiah 55, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts so andy it seems to me whenever we 
this question, God, why aren't you punishing these wicked people? You're just sitting there and doing nothing. Instead of worrying about that, how about we trust him and we trust him with all of our heart and we lean not on our own understanding. We, how about we recognize the fact that God is working, that just like God was doing something in Habakkuk's day, God is doing something in our day. We just don't have the capacity to see it. We are so limited and he's God and he's eternal and he's all knowing and he's all powerful. I, I like that last phrase. He says, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not even believe it if I told you. And then it's interesting to me that God goes ahead and tells him, like, right, you, right. you would not believe this if, if I told you about it. Now, let me tell you about it. So um, pretty interesting there. Uh, Andy, any other thoughts on that part of the answer? Yeah, just to add uh, uh, to your point, um, we often have a very narrow perspective. Often we, we're just looking at our, our own little world and, and from our own uh, point of view from our own experiences and so you know it's when 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 we have that that limited perspective it can be easy to be uh, frustrated but God God has in mind the bigger picture he knows how everything interacts with everything else we might think that one solution is best but we may not know how that's going to affect everything else but God knows perfectly um his plan, he knows what is best, and he's he's working all things uh, for his ultimate uh, purposes and will. And so I think when we, and, and I also think we can sometimes just focus on um, the negative so much and, and just totally neglect um, the work of God. And I mean, that's, and that's, a, that's an understandable thing to do when you see this really, really horrible suffering around us or you know in the news you know i think a lot of people are experiencing that just just horrified about what's going on and what's being done uh, by people and by those in in power i think it can be easy to to focus on that and and think while our world is really declining people are getting more and more evil and, and it seems like nothing good ever happens and yet if we really, you know, took a step back and tried to, to see God at work, we would see God and his people doing amazing things. That doesn't, that doesn't, um, that's, that's not to say that, you know, this suffering is not real and frustrating and confusing and, and all these other things that we feel. It's not to say that those emotions aren't legitimate, but sometimes we neglect um, the way that the church is responding in compassion and the way that people are being drawn into to Jesus through um, through the gospel and people repenting and turning and doing wonderful things in the name of Christ to alleviate suffering, to bring light in our dark world. And God is working through all that. His spirit is working in all of that. And sometimes we we don't have eyes uh, to see that, and we just focus on the injustice being done. But we as Christians, we know that God is, he's working now, and one day all things are going to be made right. There's going to be a judgment day where all wrongs are going to be righted, and um, we, we, we have faith, we have trust in that, uh, like you mentioned earlier. 
And I think that's a perfect transition to the latter part of the answer that God gives that um, here's Habakkuk. He's looking at the nation of Judah and saying, why aren't you punishing these people? Well, when you look at verses six through 11, it seems that God is suggesting and responding to Habakkuk that wickedness is not going to go unpunished forever, that I'm doing something now. And if I were to tell you what it is, you wouldn't even believe it. But Habakkuk, let me assure you of the that their wickedness is not going to go unpunished forever. There will be a time and there will be a day whenever God definitively punishes the people of Judah. And that will be the day, as we saw in verse six, when he raises up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. They're going to march into the city of Jerusalem. I believe it was in uh, 587 BC, which they began the siege about 21 years earlier in the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, they're going to march into the city. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to completely burn everything down and tear down the city walls and take the people of Judah into captivity. That's not something that that just happens, you know, like, oh, things things just happen or that's just really bad luck. No, this is something that God causes to happen where the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the people of Judah are going to be taken into captivity as a result of their sin. God spends some time in verses 6 through 11 describing the Babylonians, describing the people that he's going to raise up, and he describes them in, in some pretty powerful ways. Andy, what, what would you add to that? And what stands out to you about what God says about the Babylonians? Yeah, I mean, this answer that, that God gives is probably not what Habakkuk wanted, wanted to hear. And it might even be uncomfortable for us because as God is describing, um, you know, this, the Chaldeans, this nation of Babylon, um, this is not a this is not a uh, pretty picture that he's he's painting here. These are not uh, nice, just good people. He even you know points out that they they themselves are um, unjust. They it's a it's a bitter and hasty nation. Verse six. They are a, they are a violent people. They are a scoffing uh, people. Uh, verse uh, eleven. Their their might is their God. You know, they they're not they they don't honor God. They don't respect God. They are um, they are wicked, evil people. And so that's that's kind of uncomfortable for us that, you know, as you you said, this is something God's causing to happen. But that's also something that in their free will, the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, as we know, uh, the, the leader of the Babylonians, they're they're choosing to do this of their own free will because they have they have evil purposes and yet god is working in the world to use even those who are evil for his purposes and so that is that that's a striking thing it may be troubling uh, to us but again we have to trust that that god is is wiser um than we are and you know, this is and you know, this whole discussion is going to feed, of course, into the next question that Habakkuk asked, asked that we'll talk about next week. Um, but he he really he describes this nation in a way that that uh, probably is very concerning 
uh, to Habakkuk and, and might be to us as well. But again, we, we have to be reminded um, that this is, this is part of God's plan. He is working um, everything uh, for justice and for good. And I think that's still true today, that uh, wickedness is not going to go unpunished forever. You might have somebody who lives in sin from the day that they're born until the day that they die. And uh, they're prosperous and they're rich and they're popular and they're famous, but they're continuing to live in sin. And we look at that and and we say, God, why aren't you doing anything about that? Well, one day God is going to do something about that. If he doesn't do anything about it in this life, which we don't understand how God works, we can't put God in a box and tell him what he can and can't do. But one thing that we know for sure is that, Andy, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, on the day of judgment, everything will be made right. All of the injustices will be repaid. Sin will be, people who have lived in sin will be held accountable for that. I think about how Paul talks about that in Second Thessalonians 1. When he says the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. That's not something that we rejoice in. In fact, as Christians, that's something that should break our hearts. But that's what's going to happen. On the judgment day, wrongs will be made right. God will demonstrate his justice and judgment against those who have lived in rebellion to him. Matthew 25, 41 through 46, the goats who are placed on the left hand because they did not feed those who were hungry and take care of those who were thirsty and take take in those who didn't have lodging or, or clothing. Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20 and verse 15 is bone chilling. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wickedness will not go unpunished forever. So maybe that should make us think about our lives. Maybe it should make us think, you know, second Peter chapter three, verses 10 and 11 Peter's talking about the day when Jesus is going to return. And he says, since you know all of this is going to take place, what kind of people do you need to be? What kind of lives do you need to live? And he actually ends up answering that question in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. He said, we ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, just looking forward to that day, wanting it to get here so bad. Lord Jesus, come quickly. God is working. Wickedness will not go unpunished forever. And so maybe the question I need to answer is, what kind of person should I be? What kind of life should I live? Um, Andy, let me kick it back to you. What do you think about this? Yeah, everything everything you said is um, so, so important and so uh, sobering, really, um, but it also gives us it also gives us hope that um, God is just. That God, going back to our discussion from last week, God is totally in control. You know, other people might be looking at you know the Chaldeans in Habakkuk's day 
kind of rising up to power and they might say, oh, wow, really seems like the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are, you know, in control of the world. That they, as they're, they're growing their empire, they are the ones that um, are, are in power, that are sovereign. And yet God, as we talked about last week, he, he, he sees the nations like a drop in the bucket. He holds the heart of kings, the hearts of kings in his hands, and he turns them over like a river in his hands. And he, he knows all the, all the purposes that he has for every single person, every single nation. And it's all going to culminate, as you're talking about, Tyler, in that ultimate judgment day. So we've, we've got to be, we've got to be uh, prepared for that day ourselves. And sometimes we, we focus so much on, um, you know, we want other people to face justice. We want other people to uh, be punished for their, for their wrongs. And yet none of us of ourselves want to be uh, punished for our wrongs. None of us want to really receive justice. We want, we want mercy. And thankfully God has offered mercy, has offered grace. Um, so we've, we've got to really consider um, how we live so that we can live in God's grace. We can live in God's mercy, trusting that he is in total, total control. I think that's really well said. Uh, so like you said just a few minutes ago, this conversation, this answer from God is going to fuel the next question that Habakkuk asked, where in verse 11, God calls the Babylonians guilty men. And so basically the question we're going to ask next time is how can God use guilty men to punish guilty men? How can God do that? How can he use this evil, sinful nation to punish another evil, sinful nation? So uh, we'll, uh, Lord willing, get have the chance to talk about that next week whenever we come back together, and we'll have the chance to see how God responds to that. But until then, uh, we'd like to offer a challenge as we close. And Andy, I believe it's uh, your turn to offer that challenge. Yeah, this is something I want us to think about um, from Habakkuk chapter one in these first few verses that we've read here. I'm just I'm just so so struck by um, Habakkuk's openness, honesty, um, vulnerability with with God to really just ask him what is on his heart, and I think that can be a challenge for us. I think sometimes we get into a a pattern of of phrases that we like to use in prayer. Maybe it kind of becomes uh, a rope prayer or or something that is we're just kind of going through the motions as we pray. But as I see it from my perspective, it seems like Habakkuk's relationship with God is is real. It's 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 vibrant. It's 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 real to him so much that he can he can bring this before his God. Um, he knows him personally, and he knows him to be just, and yet it's not matching up what he is seeing in the world. So there's this tension in his heart, and I wonder, um, I wonder how how it would help us grow and help us to be closer to God if we maybe maybe had made more of an effort to be more honest in our prayers, be more intentional about what we say to really be open with what we're struggling with. So, I mean, that's the, that's the challenge I want to um, 
you know, give to us, to, to, to you, Tyler, and to me, but also to everyone listening, it's just um, maybe this week in your, in your prayers, um, break up the, the routine a little bit, maybe try to use some language that's different and make, make an effort to, to, to really, really just pour out your heart to God. Maybe, maybe even write down some questions that have really been bothering you, uh, maybe about what you see in the world, maybe about um, how that doesn't seem to match up with how you, how you see God's character as revealed in the scriptures and, and bring that before God. And then as you study the scriptures, see what God is saying to you to respond to you to some of those questions. So I think um, hopefully that'll be a helpful challenge uh, for us that will will strengthen our our relationship with God. I think so. I think it will. A, A challenge to be transparent with our father and to ask those questions that we have. Uh, I think that's a a great challenge. Andy, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for your insight into this passage. I really enjoyed walking through just the first few verses here of Habakkuk chapter one and looking forward to next week. Yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I'm very excited to keep keep going in Habakkuk. And uh, like I said earlier, it was one of my favorite, favorite books. So I'm really thankful for your insights as well, Tyler. And we want we want to thank everyone who's listening. You know, if you if you've been helped by this podcast or you enjoy it, um, you know, uh, share it with other people. Um, uh, give us a, a rating on, on your podcast app. I know every podcast uh, you listen to probably ask you to do that, but it just helps more people um, see it and hear it. And hopefully that hopefully more and more people will uh, be blessed by you know, the study of God's word. So thank you, everybody, for listening and um, looking forward to next week. Thank you for listening to Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast, or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.